How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. I think he's shooting the piss out of the ball. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. And today's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by Mike Stein, Mike Stein, Mike Steen, I never know how to pronounce. I'm going to guess your one is Stein, Mike, so let me know if I'm incorrect. So Mike is today's Patreon sponsor, so thank you to Mike for being a sponsor of the show and supporting the show. And if you want to do that as well, head across to patreon.com slash redrock underscore b-ball. We are here to talk about Thursday's action. We are here to also preview the games for Friday, so... Let's get to it. To it. Now, I am going early again on this one today. We're halftime in the Clippers and Timberwolves game. I've got to go and uh, pick my son up pretty soon, and then we'll have some... Uh, yeah, I won't be able to do the podcast till very, very, very late tonight, so that's why we're going a little bit early. Nothing out of the ordinary has happened in that Clippers-Timberwolves game, so if anything does does occur as the, as the podcast is progressing, I will touch on that, but we'll go through the other four games that happened on Thursday, and then we'll also talk about the nine games we've got coming up for Friday, and we'll start that off with the monstrous line of the night. And of course, it goes to, uh, it goes to my boy, it goes to Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. He was, um, he was pretty good. I, I don't think there's much more I need to say. Pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Yep. Now, yesterday I was a little bit cautious about Jokic with that massive price rise taking on the San Antonio Spurs who have been known to have a pretty good defense in their time and have been known to uh, really limit big men. Jokic doesn't care. He just is... He's ridiculous at the moment. 35, 12, and 4. Two triples, two blocks, 14 of 22 from the field, 5 of 5 from the line. Every time that Jokic has one of these games... I want you to remember that Michael Malone benched him in favor of Yusuf Nurkic and played him out of position for about the first 20 games of the season. Just remember that. Just remember that this is what Michael Malone did. Um, I was pretty excited about Jokic heading into this season. As you would have known, I didn't think he'd be this good. Over the last two weeks, Jokic is the number two player in fantasy basketball. Number two. So that means that he is ahead of James Harden and he is ahead of Giannis Antetokounmpo because Kevin Durant is number one. He is averaging in those last two weeks. Now, granted, it is only four games because the Nuggets had that uh, London trip. He's averaging 29 and 12. He's averaging four and a half assists, one and a half threes, a steal, one and a half blocks on 61% from the field, 82% from the line, and 43% from three. He has a 69% true shooting percentage. Giggity. And he has a 29% usage rate. I was I was well, way off on Jokic in preseason. I said, give him 33 minutes, he'll be a top 15 guy. Nah, nah, nah just, just a top five guy. No, well, not, not, not too far off. He is, um, he's, I don't even know what to say about him anymore. He, he does have some defensive issues, no, no doubt. But if he continues at this pace, there is almost no chance that he doesn't go in the first round next year, correct? There's no way that, that he slips outside the first. I can't see any way that that happens. 
if that he just gets consistent 33 minutes a nine, continues to crush it. And really, what he's doing at the moment is not all that unsustainable. Yeah, he's shooting 61%. That's high. He's shooting 59% from the field for the season. So it's not like he's a 42% shooter who's now shooting 61%. It's not like he's a 50% shooter who's 61. He's shooting 2% greater over the last two weeks than what he has been for the entire season. So four games versus 33, like it's, it's basically the same. His free throws are always this good. You know, his assist rate, he's rebounding the ball more, but because he's playing at center now. And really hard to, it's really hard to pick any holes in his game, especially offensively and from a fantasy point of view. Jokic is putting up just absurd numbers at the moment, and he's absurd to watch. He's one of the more fun players to watch in the entire NBA. He does stuff where he gets the ball and starts dribbling it, like in situations where you have to look twice and go, is this man doughy and seven foot tall? Yeah, he is. And he's doing these things. It's still, uh, look, I, I don't even know how, how much more to say about Jokic. I was, uh, I was big on him, but I, I undershot it. He is, he is ridiculously good. And Denver fans, you should be really, really wrapped about what's happening with, uh, with this guy at the moment. He is a, a real piece to build around for this team, and he, he's carrying them and carrying them in a pretty good way. Let's talk. I don't. Have to, we know that he's the young gun of the night, so I'll stick that up on the screen now for you guys. The uh, also, if you are watching this live, let me know because. Um, new some new uh, hardware here so i've got a new computer which hopefully allows it to go out being less choppy so if you are watching it live let me know and let, and, and let me know how it actually comes across because i said dealing with some uh, some new hardware here so hopefully that i know there's still internet connection issues here but hopefully the new hardware allows it to go out in a little bit of a a better fashion let's talk waiver wire line of the night and this is uh this is the man that killed everyone in dfs yesterday it's kylo quinn um well I'll, I'll, I don't, did he kill everyone or did Jeff Hornacek kill everyone? Probably a combination of both. Uh, O'Quinn remained starting in this game, even though uh, even though he was he was back. But O'Quinn remained starting. That probably won't continue past this game. But he had fourteen and eight. He had three assists. He had a steal. He had three blocks, and he went seven of ten from the field. And he did all that in twenty one minutes. As we always say with Kyle O'Quinn, if the minutes come, the numbers are going to follow. There's almost no doubt about that. And he doesn't need thirty minutes. You give him 22, 23 minutes, and he would be a must-own 12-team league guy. But unfortunately, uh, Jeff Hornacek, My name is Jeff. there is no way to be able to rely upon what he is going to do. Because not only does he change his mind every five seconds, he almost invariably makes the wrong decision when he changes his mind in those scenarios. So Quinn, this is a huge performance, and this is what we were hoping he did yesterday. But unfortunately, he played under 10 minutes in a game without Porzingis and Noah. Porzingis comes back, he plays 21 minutes. And the hero from yesterday, Billy Hernan Gomez, who had a double-double in 20 minutes, DMPCD. And this, I say it as a joke that whenever a Knicks backup center has a good game, they become a DMPCD the next game. Turns out it wasn't a joke. It's legitimately true. Hernan Gomez, you know, big double-double, blocks, 20 minutes, great doesn't play at all because we've got to get Marshall Plumley in there. This sort of shit, it must be infuriating for Knicks fans. I'm sure it is. But to, to make sense of it, it just it, it's, it doesn't make sense. That's the problem. As for O'Quinn, I think you've got to look at him as a 14-team league guy. That's the sort of zone. And he should be getting 16, 17 minutes a night most nights. But there'll be nights with 24. There'll be nights with 12. And you've got to sort of deal with that. But we know that if he's getting 24 minutes a night consistently then that makes him 12-team and, and knocking on the door for 10s. But honestly, a fantastic performance from O'Quinn and just adding more frustration to the situation with the Knicks and with Hornacek. 
The dart of the night is Nick Jokic's teammate. It's Ken Fareed. Now, he started. He was had a great opportunity for a big performance. He didn't really uh, take advantage of that. And by didn't really, I mean didn't at all. Five points in 25 minutes for Fareed. Nine rebounds. He was only two of seven from the field. And this is coming off last game where he scored 20 and seven. In fact, the last two games, he scored 20 points. But we have to remember in those last two games, he scored 20 points because he shot 90% from the field in one of them, and he shot 83% from the field in the other one, numbers which are obviously impossible to continue. In fact, the game before that, he, sh- he shot 75%. With the play of Juancho Hernan Gomez, who I think is a significantly better player than, or sorry, let's phrase it again, I think will become a significantly better player than Farid and fits pretty well with, with, uh, with Jokic. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Fareed moving forward. Uh, Wilson Chandler will obviously return. There's no reason to me that you own Fareed in 12-team leagues. He's got 77% ownership. That's why he qualifies for the dud of the night. But I really don't understand why 77% of people are owning Ken Fareed. Yes, you know what? He has been a top 100 player over the last two weeks. But it's been quite circumstantial. It's coming on 69% shooting. Giggity! And when I talked about Jokic's numbers, that's, that was very similar to his numbers. Like... Farid is shooting 14% more than what he's shot for the entire season over this two-week stretch. And then he's going to have his opportunity regressing back when uh, when Chandler returns. So, yeah, I, I don't believe that you need to own Ken Farid in 12-team formats. All right, let's, uh, that does it for the, uh, for the, for the uh, awards of the night. Now, I am on this new computer now and dealing with a new computer and for some reason i can't get my software to screen share so when we go through the box scores you're just going to be looking at my head so i won't have them up on the screen for you people watching the video the audio people you're saying oh, why do i give a shit josh I'm, I'm not looking at anything but that's what's happening i'm gonna to have to play around with it a bit more and see if i can get that going on let's start with the first game and that is phoenix and cleveland the um the Suns were they're okay in this game. I think we've got to highlight the performance of Tyson Chandler returning from his uh, gastrointestinal distress episode. He played 30 minutes and had 22 and 16 with a block. And Alex Len is just being phased out of things. Only eight minutes for Len, four and three with a block. I can't stress to you enough how stupid this is. In my opinion, Chandler is playing well. I, I, there is nothing. Nothing to say that that is not true. He is playing well, but what is the point of playing him 30 to 33 minutes, except for the fact that he's mates with the coach? That's basically all it comes down to, that they're mates, and that Chandler got him his job. And I will continue to say that until it's not true, but that is exactly why Earl Watson got his job, because the Suns GMs interviewed no one else, because Tyson Chandler and PJ Tucker went to him and said, we want Earl Watson as the coach. And Ryan McDonough said, you know what? You guys are 31 years old. You're the future of this team. We'll do what you say. And that's exactly what happened. So Chandler, huge numbers. Yeah, 22 is a season high. 16 rebounds is a big number. A block, 64% from the field. These are all useful numbers. Numbers, And in a lot of cases, you'd say, oh, that's fine. They'll they'll uh, they'll sit him down the stretch. They'll, they'll go full tank mode. The Suns have been in tank mode all season, man. Like, they're, they're bad. They know they're bad. But this is not changing for Chandler. We're not getting big minutes of Alex Len. We're not getting big minutes of Dragon Bender or, or Marquise Chris until maybe we hit... April 10th, I just don't see them going oh, after the All-Star break, let's shut down Tyson Chandler. Because what's the point of doing it now? What's the point of limiting playing Alex Lund less minutes now than what you did in November and December? Eric Bledsoe was fantastic. He's the 15th ranked player over the last two weeks. 22, 6, and 9 with four steals. And if you invested in Bledsoe with that worry with the knee, then you, you are coming out yeah, pretty happy at the moment. I wasn't worried about the knee, really, because as I've said, he has rebounded from these injuries previously. He's never re-injured the knee that he has the surgery done. It was the opposite knee. He has bounced back in the past, and he's bounced back again here, knock knock on wood. 
Um, hopefully that he can continue this sort of form, but it's, it was a fantastic night from him. And uh, Devin Booker had a, a great night. Now, he wasn't efficient, but I'll give him a pass. He went 4 of 12 from the field, but scored 21 points with 7 rebounds and 8 assists. So some good numbers there for Devin Booker. PJ, PJ Tucker played 29 minutes, went 2 and 5 with 2 steals. That's a pretty standard line from Tucker. Whereas the uh, most encouraging thing, I guess, is the uh, the form of TJ Warren. He played 40 minutes, so that's a bonus. 18-3 and three with two steals and a block. I have been harping on that Warren is a guy that you want to own. It's been hard to do. And hopefully these last couple of games are a step in the right direction for, for TJ as he's um, you know starting to look a lot better. He was 8 of 12 from the field. And this is what he can be, a guy that gets steals, a guy that scores, and a guy that scores on high efficiency. This is the archetype TJ Warren. I think archetype's the right word there. This is this is TJ Warren. And some of those other games and some of the, the jerking around minutes is the problem. Now, they played together a lot, Warren and Tucker, in this game, so that limited the minutes that Len got, Chris, and, uh, and Dragon Bender as well. Bite my shiny metal ass. Bender played 18 minutes for three points, while Chris had six and four in his 22 minutes on the Cavs. LeBron, there was no Kevin Love, by the way. LeBron played 39 minutes in a game against the Suns that they won by 15. Seems a lot. 21-9 and 15 for LeBron with a steal and two blocks, and he was great from the field. But as has been the case for the majority of the season with LeBron, you're really hurting your free throw percentage. He was only uh, five of eight from the free throw line. That's clearly not a good number. And he has been a guy that's maybe not 100% a punt free throw guy, but you obviously have to be dealing with it and um and and pretty um I don't know how to say it. you have to be pretty cognizant of his uh, of his free throw percentage I think it's probably the best way of me putting that Iman Shumpert had a season high 17 points with five triples he had a steal and a block and uh continued to start 30 minutes for Shumpert they moved DeAndre Liggins out and put Shumpert in I'm not really sure why they never did that to begin with to be honest but Shumpert is a 14-team league guy, as I believe Kyle Korver is. 25 minutes for Korver, 9-5. and five. All of those nine points came on threes. He hit three of them. He went three of 10 from the field. There is nothing to get me excited about Korver for standard leagues. While Tristan Thompson dislocated his finger but returned to action, two and six in 20 minutes for, for Thompson. You know about Thompson. If you own him, you know why. It's for field goal percentage and rebounds. It is not a must-own for everybody. Kyrie had 26 with four assists and two steals. And let me just say now, I cannot believe that Kyrie and DeMar DeRozan were named as the starting backcourt for the Eastern Conference. I know that the fans get 50% of the vote, but the media voting was was fairly disgraceful as well. To have Kyle Lowry down as fourth is um, is is not ideal. You know, to me, the top three should have been Lowry, Wall, and Thomas. And you know, I had I had Lowry and Thomas as my top two yesterday. That's that's yeah, and Wall as the third. They should have been the top three, but it. You know, instead, two other guys got that starting. I think that is more egregious than Russ not starting in the Western Conference. Um, I know he's averaging a triple-double and all that sort of stuff. But to me, to have Irving and DeRozan over Lowry, Wall, and Thomas is the most the most agreed. And the players voting, they're taking the piss. We know they're taking the piss. Multiple players that have, have not played a single second this season got votes. Not And not just them voting for themselves. They're, they're, they're clearly just taking the piss, so they can shut up and com- stop complaining about anything. And this, again, just fuels my theory that Jamal Crawford is definitely getting six Man of the Year votes this year. There is no doubt that he is getting six Man of the Year votes. I guarantee it. If there was some way to have a bet on will Jamal Crawford receive one vote, at least one vote in six Man of the Year, you should get on that because it is definitely happening, despite him being, at this point, just just a, a piece of shit, really. not He's a great bloke but just a horrible player at this point in his career. 
James Jones started in place of Kevin Love. He had 14 points, including four triples. So a big night for Jonesy in 20 minutes, but obviously he'll go back to being a DMPCD while Channing Fry had 18 and 10 with four triples in 30 minutes. The next game up, the Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat. The Heat get the victory here at home. Wes Matthews and the pencil Harrison Barnes, both at 50% shooting from the field. 18 and 5 for Wes, 15 and 7 for Barnes. Pretty standard sort of numbers for those guys. While Dirk had 19 and 4 in his 29 minutes, had two steals there as well. And obviously, Dirk is a guy that you need to own. Seth Curry played 32 minutes. He had 15 and 4. He hit three triples. So, some nice numbers again from Seth. I just don't feel that his upside is really all that high. Look, he can be owned, no doubt. But I just don't feel that there's much great top 100 long term value with him. It could be there. I just I just don't really see it. I think J.J. Barea is going to eat into it. I think Andrew Bogut's going to eat into it as well. Uh, Dwight Powell only played the 10 minutes here, and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith saw 11 after that little run of him starting and playing big minutes. For the Heat, Goran Dragic had 32 points with six rebounds, and Tyler Johnson had 23 in 28 minutes. So they made a mockery of the fact that the Mavericks have been probably the toughest team for point guards to play against all season. And both guys shot the ball brilliantly as well, while Hassan Whiteside had 13 and 8 in just 29 minutes. He did sprain an ankle earlier on, but he was fine uh, after that. Dale Waiters, 12-3-3 on 12 shots in 32 minutes. Leave him for the 14 or 16 team league formats. And unsurprisingly, after Wayne Ellington went off and played 30 minutes the other day, he went scoreless in 19. That is that is the perfect um, description of his career. Jimmy Johnson, our martyr, our only son. wasn't a great night from Jim. Five points, eight rebounds, and four assists on one of six shooting, but the one of six shooting is what killed it. You go four of six, and then you're talking about 11, eight, and four, and the line looks good. He's still got 32 minutes, so no reason to panic there. With Jimmy, let's move on to the with the Wizards and the Knicks. Johnny Wall, fantastic. 29, five, and 13. Three steals, 52% shooting. Ridiculous stuff from him, as was Otto Porter. 30, 30 points for, sorry, 30 minutes for Porter, 23 points, and actually saw a usage above 20%. 21% usage. He'd been getting like 10, 12, 13, which is ludicrous considering that he's you know, been their most efficient scorer for, for the entire season. He's taken his true shooting up by 7, 8% this year. He has been, for a guy that he, his own coach in the preseason said, oh, we're going to have an open competition for minutes between him and Cali Ube. And at the time I went, well, look, that makes no sense. Like Porter hasn't been great, but Ubre was actually terrible and and was not good and, and did not deserve that role. For the coach to come out and say, we're going to have an open competition seems weird. And then for Porter to come out and just absolutely smash it this year. Six triples, 23 points. That's back-to-back games with six triples for Porter. He had a steal and a block, and he has been ludicrous. He's a top 30 player, and I did think some regression was coming, but apparently it's not. He's just going to continue to shoot 10% better than what he did last year. Mark Heath continued his hot run, 14-6-4 with two blocks, and two triples while Marcin Gortat had 12 and 12 in 30 minutes. A little bit of a better night from Gortat. And Jason Smith, 23 minutes for Smith, 11 and 4 with two blocks. He is horrible. He's not a good player. He's uh, he's not a good um, defender at all. He got torched by Mallow in this game, but his minutes are definitely up, and that makes the deeper league people need to stand up and take notice of what um, of what Jason Smith is doing. But we're talking 20-team league scenarios. Uh, Brad Beal was poor, eight points with five assists in his 38 minutes. 
For the Knicks, Mallow had just a red-hot second quarter, set a Knicks franchise record for points in the quarter, 34-10 and 10 with three triples in 35 minutes and had a steal. It cooled off significantly after that, but a really red-hot quarter. And the Knicks started uh, Mindagos Kuzminskas again and kept Porzingis off the, on the bench. Kuzminskas only played 18 minutes. He had six points with two assists as the Knicks went with more Justin Holiday and they went with more Brandon Jennings. Holiday played 21 minutes. Uh, Jennings played 24 and um, and Porzingis got 29 off the bench, 15 and 5. I would imagine that Porzingis goes and starts the next game, but I can see Porzingis starting at the 5, hopefully. Mallow at the 4, and then uh, Kuzminskis or Holiday at the 3. With everyone back, though, it's going to be hard for Kuzminskis to get 25 or 26 minutes. But I feel like he's going to lock himself into an 18, 15 to 18 minute role, which is enough for, say, 16 to 18 team leagues. Derek Rose went stealless and 3-pointerless again, had 2 assists with his 20 points, so... Overall, an average sort of performance from uh, from Derek. As I said before, Billy Hernan Gomez, double-double to DMPCD, while we had 11 minutes of Marshall Plumlee. And those 11 minutes were scoreless, but we still had 11 minutes of them as we uh, as we needed to. The Nuggets and the Spurs talked about Jokic already. Farton Will Barton was great. 36 minutes for Barton, 18-3-7 with two blocks. Yeah, really great production. Obviously has to be owned until Gaz Harris returns. While Jameer Nelson had nine assists in his 27 minutes. A good night from Jameer. Um, really good streamer for assists, but a 16-team league, 14-team league sort of guy. Manny Moutier, 40% shooting for him. That's a win to get 40% shooting. 12 points. Two assists, two steals, and two triples. So a decent night from Manny. While starting for the Rooster, Danilo Gallinari was one show Henan Gomez, who played 38 minutes. He had a triple one. He had eight points and six rebounds. I really like Wancho. I like him a lot. I think he can be a, a very uh, interesting fantasy contributor. He could be a triple one player. He can score. He can rebound as well. I think he's going to be one of the best players that comes out of this draft class, one of the top 10 guys that come out of this draft class. And really interested to see what happens with him moving forward. His defensive ability is very underrated. He's quite good on that end. Good stuff from him. Uh, I talked about Fareed struggling. And Yusuf Nurkic had just five points in 14 minutes for the Spurs. Kawhi was added again. Now the Spurs, interesting situation for the Spurs. Tony Parker apparently had an ankle problem, so he was ruled out before the game started, but not that much before. So we had Dejounte Murray starting, and then in warmups, Pau Gasol broke his hand, and then we had the surprise. Oh, by the way, David Lee starting with no real news about why Pau was out. We didn't even know if Pau was out. We didn't know if he'd been benched. We saw him come off the court holding his hand, but we didn't know if it was just like yeah, dislocated and he was going to play the second half. We had no idea. And then it was ruled out. He was ruled with a, a broken fourth metacarpal. That's going to keep him out about four weeks, I reckon. Power was already struggling in 10-team leagues. See you later. In a 12-team league, I reckon you can probably move on from Power. Like he, he was really struggling over these last couple of weeks. You can't hold a bloke like that with no IR for the next four weeks. There's just no point in it when he's when really his productions are top 80, top 90. It's not worth holding on to a guy like that. In this game, David Lee started, and he was great. 10 and 16 with a steal and a block. That's a huge performance from Dave Lee. Dwayne Dedman only played 19 minutes. But the previous two games that Pau Gasol missed, Dedman was the one that started. So I've got a theory. I don't know if this is an accurate theory, but my theory is that Dedman, what they've done previously is when LaMarcus Aldridge rests, David Lee starts. And when Pau Gasol rests, Dwayne Dedman starts. Gasol and Dedman are the centers. Lee and Aldridge are the, are the power forwards. But I think that given it was such a late notice situation that you know, they're ready to go with power, and then power's like, yeah, shit, man, broke my hand, and Pop's gone, okay, Dave Lee, you've been around the NBA 10 years. 
I think that we can adjust to, or you can adjust better to having this quick change in role and you can go out there and play the starters role better. Whereas I think a guy like Deadman, it might've been maybe a little bit overwhelming to change him at that point. I think that's the thinking. And I wouldn't be surprised if the next game, Deadman is the starter and he remains the starter moving forward. We've seen that happen a few times is when an injury happens in game, the replacements in that game aren't necessarily the players who take on the bulk of the minutes once they've had time to sit down and think about it and and work out game plans and that sort of stuff. We saw that when Gaz Harris went down. Jameer Nelson went and played like 32 minutes. Will Barton played 22. But then the next game, Barton started, and he started after that and played 35 minutes. And yes, that game, he was ill, but there was one game the, the next day, and he still played 35 minutes. So I think that that's a part of it too. I don't think that Lee or Deadman become awesome pickups in any scenario. Actually, that's not true. They become good pickups in, say, 14-team leagues and 16-team leagues and anything deeper. I don't think that either of them are really shattering anything in 12s or 10-team leagues. I just don't see that being, oh, I've got to go and grab Dave Lee. I've got to go and grab Dwayne Dedman. They'll probably end up playing 25, 26 minutes apiece and producing okay. Now, Dedman is a very good player, and Lee can be a good fantasy producer as well. They're both good rebounders. Dedman's a very good shot blocker, very efficient player. Lee can be that as well. Yeah, who you grab is, if you grab anyone, I guess it really depends. Are you looking for blocks more or are you looking for more rebounds? Lee gives you more rebounds. Deadman gives you more blocks. But I do believe, again, this is just me sort of trying to read between the lines with the Spurs, that we will get Deadman starting and we will get Lee coming off the bench um, and probably playing similar minutes to each other moving forward. DeJounte Murray started, played 34 minutes, and was fantastic. 24 points with two rebounds, two assists, a steal, and three triples. And I know I've been on record as saying this, but I believe he will be the next starting point guard of the San Antonio Spurs. I don't believe that Paddy Mills is a starter for this team. Mills might not even might, might not even be around with this team after this season. Mills is already 28. I can see them grooming Parker, no, uh, having Parker groom Murray to become the starter in two years' time. And he's got some tremendous... Tremendous talents. Now, he, he's a guy that hasn't really been able to shoot, and the 64% that he shot here is obviously an anomaly. But he's been much more impressive. He caused the Spurs to wave Nicola Lapravitola earlier on because of his impressive play. And he's going to remain the third-string point guard once Parker is back. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But as I've talked about plenty of times, I don't think Mills has been all that impressive over the last couple of weeks, maybe the last six weeks. And Murray is is gaining ground and was obviously the more impressive point guard in this game. He's only a guy that you want to look at in dynasty-type formats. But if Parker happens to remain out, then your 16-team leagues, I think you want to go and grab him because he will play at least 20 a night in any situation that Parker is out. Probably won't play 34 and probably won't score 24, but he will play 20 a night and he will be a decent addition in those scenarios. Manu also bumped up 14, 5, and 4 with three steals for Manu, while Kawhi had 34, 5, and 4 with two steals. LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't really that great. 10-3-6 in 29 minutes for LaMarcus. All right, and that's uh, that's that's it for the games. Because I said, we are the game... Uh, which one? The um, Clippers-Timberwolves game is still continuing at the moment as I record this. So I don't have... Uh, don't have numbers to break down for that one now. But what I'm going to do now is take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to uh, to preview the games that we're uh, that we've got coming up on Friday for DFS. All right, guys. Just some news that just came through now is that Ricky Rubio is questionable to return from the Minnesota Timberwolves with um, 
uh, hip tightness, and Chris Dunn started the second half in his place. So obviously that's a situation to monitor, but adding Dunn, if Rubio's going to miss some time, would be an interesting scenario. But the last time that that Rubio missed games, Tyus Jones ended up outplaying Dunn for a few of those. So again, it doesn't look like it's too serious an issue just at this point, but but it could obviously turn into something like that. So that's uh, it's something we obviously need to need to monitor and see exactly how it's um, how it's uh, going to go down. We need to we need to maybe take some precautionary moves, but I don't think that it's 100% necessary to go and add Dunn in every format because, again, Jones is the better player at this point and he was getting more minutes uh, for that stretch when Rubio was out initially. And Rubio may not even miss any time. So that's sort of where we're sitting with that at the moment. All right, let's talk about these games now. We'll get into those in uh, in a bit of detail. The first game we're going to take a look at pits the Toronto Raptors against the Charlotte Hornets. It's an even spread for this game at the moment. The total is 215 points, 215 and a half points, sorry. And we've got a few scenarios. So over on Basketball Monster, you know we've got these what-if scenarios where you can check out, you know, how does everything change if certain players are in and out? And Toronto's got a few we've got to look at. Damari Carroll, Patrick Patterson, and Bebe Nogueira are all questionable. Carroll with that neck issue, Pat Patterson with the knee, and Bebe with the concussion. And for the, for the Hornets, we're looking at Jeremy Lamb with his foot that's kept him out of the last couple of games. I'm going to go through everything here and talk about assuming everyone plays. But obviously, if uh, Carroll is out, Norm Powell is the one to go to. Terry Ross gets a bump. If um, if Bebe is out, I think Powell and Ross both get a bump there as well. Uh, Siakam will get more minutes, but he won't necessarily be a great play. But Jonas Valanciunas, I hate when I say Jonas. Why did I say that? Jonas Valanciunas will get a bump if either Bebe or Patterson miss uh, as well. Sullinger you know, theoretically would, but he's just not going to be able to play enough minutes to be a real DFS guy to look at. So you might be seeing big Valanciunas minutes and some pretty significant Siaka minutes. Plus, if we see a scenario where Damara Carroll plays, he'll play at the four, and that'll open up a lot more minutes for Norm and Terry Ross across the wings as well. And we'll also see some Jakob Pertl, but I don't think he's going to be too much of a DFS option. Point guards in this game, it's Kemba versus Kyle Lowry. Walker is at 8,300. Lowry is at 8,800. They both seem just a little bit too highly priced on Fangio. Lowry's got a great matchup. The Hornets do allow some pretty significant points uh, against point guards, but I still don't think that he's in a a great spot. On DraftKings, it's a little bit better where Lowry's at 83 and Kemba's at 8,000. I think that Kemba probably gives a little bit more bang for your buck at uh, at that price tag. But neither of them really stand out as being must-own type of players or must-roster type of players. Shooting guards, Nick Batum is at 7,400 on Fangio. Not a good matchup for him here either. Actually, it's not true. It's sort of a sort of a neutral type matchup for Batum. He did have 35 points the last time that he was he was playing with that nice, uh, well, full line, which is what Batum does fairly often. Over on DraftKings, he's at 74, which is not a not a price which I'm altogether all that keen on. While Demar, Demar Derozan at 9,300, he just seems to be giving us fairly consistent lines. But against Philly, only had 38 points, but he's averaging 45 across the last five. I'm okay with DeRozan. I love him on DraftKings, where he's at 8,200. That's a great scenario. You're a great matchup, great production, and cheap. On Fangel at 9,300, I'm not sure it's really the best option uh, on that site. Marco Ballinelli is only a GPP type of a player. Small forward Terry Ross at 3,800. Well, we talked about him already. He gets a real bump if these other guys are out. And 
if everyone's playing, he is a harder guy to use, especially with nine games on. On DraftKings at 3,800, he is a GPP guy, regardless of the scenario of some of those other players, but not not a strong one. And Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is a player who's priced at 5,100 over on Fangio, which is not an appealing price. He's the same price over on uh, over on DraftKings, and I just don't really see that being a, an optimal option. Marvin Williams at power forward had a nice game in the last one. That was 26 points, but his salary really makes me think that that's not interesting. He's at $4,900, and the uh, the Raptors' power forwards aren't really interesting either. Cody Zeller at 5000 definitely let us down in the last game, but he was battling some foul trouble. He's at 5000 on both sides, and I think he's fine to go back to the well on here. He should be able to get you at least 25 to 26 points, which at 5000 should be plenty or, or definitely... Um, uh, d- definitely enough to, to return that sort of value. While Valanchunas gets a bump if one of those two guys is out, he's okay otherwise. He's at 5,700 on Fangio, and he's at 57 on DraftKings, which makes him sort of okay value, especially with the good matchup against Charlotte. But if you see Patterson out, if you see Bebe out, then he, he should be, you know, Casey's going to be forced into playing him 30 minutes or 31 minutes, and that should be enough for him to return value at that price point. All right, let's move on to the next game. The next game is the Milwaukee Bucks. They're taking on the Orlando Magic. The, the Bucks are favored by two and a half, and the total is 209. Jody Meeks is now out four to six weeks with that thumb issue that he suffered, uh, dislocated thumb that he suffered the other day. And Evan Fournier is not, there's no timeline in Fournier, and they said that his return is not imminent, so he won't be playing here. So we're going to see um, a split in minutes between DJ Augustine, CJ Watson, and Mario Hazonia. Nothing really all that exciting for, for standard league scenarios, but some great uh, DFS, GPP-type punt options between those three players. You're hitting on which one's going to be the right one is going to be obviously the challenge. But there is, there is minutes, and there are shot attempts to go around. Now, a lot of those shot attempts will go to Serge Barker, they'll go to Aaron Gordon, and they'll go to Nick Vucevic also, and to Lord Alfred Payton. But whoever's manning that two-guard position, there is playing time, and there are minutes available for those guys. At point guard, let's talk DJ Augustine. He's a minimum salary guy, so of course he is an option. He's at 33 on DraftKings. If he gets you 20 points, which is not a stretch for him to do, then he, he returns value. So... Yeah, Vogel was talking about pairing Payton and Augustine together. I know Philip uh, Rossman-Reich over at Orlando Magic Daily had a great stat about those two playing together. I believe they had an 85 offensive rating and 119 defensive rating in the minutes that Payton and Augustine have shared the court. So obviously horrific. So let's see how well that actually goes down. But Augustine's going to get opportunities and he's going to play some minutes at that position. So that means you've got to consider him. You can't not consider him. As for Lord Alfred, he's at $6,000 on Fangio. It's a negative matchup. We've seen this um, against the Bucks with teams all season. They do struggle at times against opposition point guards. But Peyton's a little bit of a different point guard, so he can actually have some ability to score here. At 6000 bucks on DraftKings and on Fangio, I think that he has he has some value. Like he's got more value than um, than quite another uh, quite a number of other point guards on the on the slate, and he is going to have to take on some more shot attempts with Fournier and Meeks both out. That might be not good, but he has shown an increased ability to finish this year, so that's something that's a positive with his value moving forward. 
Malcolm Brogdon at 5,400 on Fangela. I cannot get behind that price. It, it just is too high. And at 57 on DraftKings, the, the same story. You know what? He had a good game in the last one. Definitely. He had 27 points. But that's sort of that just repays the value. It's not smashing through it. And he had a really good game. I just don't trust Kidd to give him the 35 minutes that he had in that last game, enabling him to really get past that sort of value. At shooting guard, like DJ Augustine, Mario Hazonia is at minimum salary on FanDuel. He is at minimum salary on DraftKings. He had 16 points in the last game where Meeks got injured, and I think he's a real chance to get or to exceed that here and, and be, be a valuable option. Now, he's been pretty horrible all season, but this is a good opportunity for him to actually show out and, and do something important. Yanni is at 11100 on FanDuel. That's obviously a high price. He's at 10600 on DraftKings. But he has been smashing it. He's averaging 52 across the last three, but 5200, sorry, 52 points at 11,000, not quite enough. It's close, and it depends how you structure the rest of your lineup. But he he's not screaming out as being this is an awesome play. This is the great a great option. He has set a pretty high bar for himself, and that price is is reflective of that. So it's not an awesome situation. I like Aaron Gordon at 5,000, and generally when I say that, he bites him in the ass, but. With Meeks and now Fournier out and the minutes feeling relatively stable for Gordon, where he's at 5,400 on DraftKings, 5,000 on Fangio. Love him more on Fangio, but I still think his value on DraftKings. There is some value to be had here. He's averaging 26 points across the last five games, which at $5,000, of course, that returns value on Fangio. So I think, and he's in a spot where, where, Small forwards get a significant bump, so I think that he's in a good spot here to be used. Mick Beasley's at 4,600 on Fangel and 41 on DraftKings. He's been crushing it. He's been putting up good numbers. He is obviously risky because he's Michael Beasley, but the minutes have been consistent. The production has been relatively consistent from Beasley. I still probably look at him as more just a GPP type of a player. I don't really think you can go much further than that with, uh, with Bees at this point. Tone Snell, 3,600. No. Power forwards, Serge Ibaka at 6,200. I don't normally like Serge Ibaka at, at this sort of a price, but you know, with another another scorer out, I think we're going to have going to see more offensive responsibility fall onto Serge, and the matchup is a good one for him against Milwaukee, so I'm okay with it. He's at 6,100 on DraftKings as well, and I think there's value for Serge on both sites, as, whereas Jabari Parker at 7,400 has really struggled to hit that value. In fact, his highest score over the last five games doesn't even return that value at 36 points. He can be used. I, I would look at him more as a GPP guy. It's not a great matchup for him. It's a sort of a neutral-ish, uh, neutral to negative matchup against against the Magic. I'm, I'm not really sure that that's a, a great spot to use Jabari. The centers, Nick Vucevic at 7,400, 67 on DraftKings. Really like him on DraftKings. Not not as keen on Fangio, but still worth looking at. If we look at him on DraftKings, he's averaging 30 over the last three, and he's averaging 38 over the last five. He has had another couple of quiet games, but we know it's the Bucks. So Bucks allow centers to put up good numbers, and some extra offensive touches are going to have to go Vucevic's way again with Meeks and Fournier both out now. For the Bucks centers, well, Greg Monroe has been playing less minutes than John Henson for the last three games, so that rules him out. To me, I wouldn't want to spend 5600 on him. As for Johnny Henson at minimum salary, well, he's playing more minutes, but he's not playing many of them, and he's not producing in high levels. Now, Henson's a guy that can, out of the blue, have a big game, and that makes him maybe you want to look at him as a GPP guy, but I really, really don't. I don't think there's a lot to love with either of those players there. Bismack Biombo not, uh, not in consideration either. 
All right, let's move on to the next one. We've got the Portland Trailblazers. They're taking on the Philadelphia 76ers team train. The Blazers are favored by one and a half on the road, and the total is 209 and a half points. Ed Davis is listed as questionable with an ankle that's cost him the last two games. At point guard, TJ McConnell is up to 5,500 on Fangio. Yeah, he had 29 points in the last game. Yeah, he's got a positive matchup here against the, the Blazers backcourt, but I'm not I'm not feeling 100% confident about using TJ McConnell at that elevated price, which seems like it's right about his level. He's at 52 on DraftKings, which feels a little bit better to me. And I've got no issue with using him. I think he absolutely should be in your player pool, but he's not a let's lock this guy in and, and roll with it from there. Dame Lillard? I don't know. Well, no, I do know. I know that he's got the ability to put up big numbers. But trusting him to do that's another thing. Now, he has had a nice little stretch here where he's averaging 40 points over the last three. But in the past, he has struggled against Philadelphia. For whatever reason, he has had some... His last three games against Philadelphia, 30 points, which is a big, big struggle. And at 8,400, it's not ideal. And for a guy that's sort of up and down, he's probably a player you want to look more at as a GPP guy. Yeah, he can drop 50, but what if he drops 30? Because that's, that's an actual possibility here against Philadelphia, which some people, if you haven't really looked back into his history, might not think that. You might think, oh, it's the sixes, he crushes them. He really doesn't. And for whatever reason that is... That that could be a concern, and then you've got, yeah, he's got to try and penetrate the lane with Joel Embiid there, which is, uh, which is a concern for anybody, I'm sure. Spanish chocolate won't play enough minutes. Shooting guard CJ McCollum's at eight thousand one hundred, so his price is slowly coming down, but not enough. Eight thousand one hundred is too high. He's averaging under thirty in the last three games. Over on DraftKings, he's at seventy three hundred, so that's a more appealing salary, but I'm still not one hundred percent involved with that. Alan Crabb is always just a GPP guy. He put up seven points in 18 minutes the last time that Portland played. Small forwards, Bob Cubs at 5,200. Not not feeling. It's a good matchup for Bob Cubb. I think he's a GPP guy, but I wouldn't be trusting him in cash, nor would I do it for Evan Turner and Mo Harkless. And uh, the power forwards, Sharich had a good game in the last one, blocked a couple of shots, but at 4,200, uh, is his upside actually there? I'm not I'm not convinced that it is. He's at 43 on DraftKings. He's an okay type of a player, but I don't really think that there's uh, a huge amount to love with uh, with Dario Sharic on this slate. And Ersan Ilyasova at 5,800, that feels like he's just priced about right, but maybe a little bit too high. And I don't think that his tournament upside is that high. Just Now, the only thing I'll say to that is that it's the Blazers. So power forwards, we know they get a significant bump against the Blazers. So could that work in Ilyasova's favor? Well, the only way you'd want to try that is in a GPP. And I don't feel totally confident with that. Nolan's Noel as the backup center. He has struggled over the last couple of games. Not interested in using him. The process, Joel Embiid is at 8,400 on Fangio and on DraftKings, and he continues to exceed those numbers. On DraftKings, he's averaging 47.5 over the last three. On Fangio, he's at 44 points. No problem with getting Embiid in there, especially in a matchup against the Blazers. He should be able to get you 40-plus without really uh, exerting too much effort. And Mason Plumley at 6,300. And on DraftKings, 5,200 for Mason Plumley is ridiculous. That's one of those ones where... When I'm constructing a lineup, I'll look at Mason Plumley at 5,200 and go, okay, you're one of the first guys that goes in, and let's see if we can build around that. That is a very, very low price. The guy's averaging 28 across the last three, um, and they've been down games for him. So in a game that's a positive matchup against Philly, I, and a game where Lillard could potentially struggle, and they could facilitate things through Plumley a little bit more often, um, makes, it, makes him a very, very good play at 5,200. That's on DraftKings, of course. 
Let's move on to the next game now. We've got the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets. This is going to be an absolute ripper. The the, the, the Warriors have had the Cavs, they've had the Thunder, and now they've got the Rockets this week. That's not an ideal matchup for them. So far, they're 2-0. Let's see how they go with this one in Houston. The Warriors are favored by 4.5. The total is is out of control, and we imagine this game stays close. So when we're stacking games, this is the game stack to go for. 236.5 is the total. The next highest is 220. This is not a blowout. It could be, but it's not a blowout scenario. The last time these two teams played, they went to double overtime. There were stats pouring out of arseholes all over the place. People were putting up numbers like they were going out of fashion. And I reckon we're probably in for more of the same here. Now, Ryan Anderson is listed as questionable after missing the last two games with an illness. He is. Uh, if he is out, then Corey Brewer comes in. Corey Brewer does not become a DFS target, I don't believe. If uh, unless you're going just complete stack of this game, which then you could throw him in a GPP, but it doesn't doesn't necessarily work in all scenarios. At point guard, Pat Bev is at 5700. He is averaging 34 over the last three. Yeah, look, and he's a relatively high price for Patrick Beverly, but I don't think it's an absorb exorbitant one. I think that Beverly can easily retain that sort of value at 5600 on DraftKings. Same story. Steph Curry's defense isn't going to be too much of a concern, so yeah, all all fine with using Pat Bev at that salary. As for Steph, well, he gets the Pat Bev treatment, so that's the concern. But he is averaging 47 the last three times that the Rockets have taken on the Warriors. He's been improving of late. Still only averaging 43 over the last five, which is not enough at 9,100. But yeah, out of all the guys in this game, if you're not full stacking the game, I don't think Curry is the best one to play. Just with that Beverly matchup and just with him continually feeling like he's $500 overpriced. On DraftKings at 8,700, that's fine. I think that's great price over there. Really okay with that. I can easily see him getting 43, 44 points. In fact, he's averaging 48 over the last five on DraftKings. So no concern with using him over there. Jim Harden is a shooting guard. Yes, we know that. 12,200 for Jim. Um, Yeah, look, we we should be getting 55, 58 plus from Jim. So no problem spending up the cash on him. That's an extra $1,000 between him and Yanni. And I feel more confident about uh, Jim being able to return that value. He's averaging 66.5 on DraftKings. He's the same price, 12200 He is one of the guys that if you're spending up, he's the guy you do it for. Clay Thompson at 6400 is obviously a key component of any game stacks of this one. Otherwise, he's more just a GPP guy. He is a little bit harder to rely upon for cash. He's only averaging 28 over the last five, which obviously doesn't cut it at 6400 But but he's, uh, he's a guy that... that has GPP upside clearly because we know that he can go off. He's at 65 on DraftKings, which takes him out of cash consideration for me over there. Eric Gordon, 6,100 for Gordo. He had 29 in the last game in 32 minutes. I think 6,100 is possibly a little bit high, but on DraftKings, he's at 5,600. That's fine. I can can use him on DraftKings. I'm just not keen with him on Fangio at that 6,100 price tag. Trevor Ariza at 5,500. That's a $300 price drop for Trev. Yep, no problem with using Ariza here. 57 on DraftKings, not quite as appealing, but still pretty good. So I think there's value in using him on uh, on both sites there. Uh, Kevin Durant, the other smell, more forward, of course. 10,500 for Kev. He had 64 against the Thunder. He's averaging 50 across the last five. You're starting a lineup with Durant and Harden. Really hard to 
argue with that in, in GPPs and cash, to be honest, over on DraftKings for Duran at 10,500. The exact same uh, information is uh, is relevant. Sam Decker becomes a GPP option if Ryan Anderson is out. Now, he hasn't played well. He only had 11 points in 25 minutes in the last game, but he played 25 minutes in a game that's going to be this high scoring. If Anderson is out and he's playing 25 minutes, at minimum salary, he's a guy that you should be including in game stacks. Is it 3,500 in DraftKings as well? There's no reason to deal with him in cash, but there is GPP upside for Decker, I think. We'll see. Power forwards, Draymond's at 8,200. I think he's pretty solid. I think he's got GPP upside as well, but I think he's a decent cash play too. And at 79 on DraftKings, that site doesn't disagree with me either. So I think that Draymond can be used in all sort of cash lineups. As for Ryan Anderson, forget him in cash. Uh, it's a shit-ass matchup that the Warriors do really restrict what power forwards can do. And he is volatile as it is, but he can get hot. And in a game this high, if they're going to keep it close, we could see big, big Ryan Anderson numbers. So that makes him a very, very tasty um, GPP option, assuming he plays, of course, which at this point we don't know. The um, the centers, I'll include Montrez Harrell, the table in that as well. He's listed as a power forward, but he's in, in this discussion. We don't know what the Warriors are going to do. Will they now? Clinkapella can hold his own against the Warriors, but how many minutes will he be able to get? I think the guy that suffers is going to be Nene. For Houston, so we're going to see maybe 15 of Capella, maybe 23, 24 of the table, and and the rest going to Nene. But it is definitely a risky proposition because we don't know who will start. We don't know what D'Antoni will do with running that scenario. So Clint Capella, Montrez Harrell, and Nene, really hard to consider any of those guys as cash game locks, despite that huge game that the table had in the, in the last one where he had those five blocks and put up 36 points, uh, Fangio points. That's fantastic. But the game before that, he played like 13 minutes or 16 minutes, which is obviously not enough to uh, to come up and, and be useful. And a matchup against the Warriors is never ideal for, for any big man, really. For the Warriors side of things, Zaza Pachulia is playing more minutes with David West out and his replacements being Kavon Looney or Anderson Varager, or JaVale McGee, maybe we see Zaza getting 24 instead of 21. And at 4,100, absolutely he can be considered as a cheap option to get you Steph, get you Kevin, get get you Jimmy into the same lineup in a game stack situation and put Zaza in there. That could definitely work out because this David West injury is going to open up 14 minutes for someone in that front court. And it very well may be Zaza as the uh, the Cavs, not the Cavs, the Warriors haven't been going death lineup as much recently. So we're going to see more Draymond Zaza matchups, I think, or pairings. So that's, he is an interesting player. And at 35 on DraftKings, I, I really like that. There's significant upside in that. He's already averaging 22 over the last five. And at 3,500, that's fantastic. And then the ability with West out now to actually get better. Really hard to, really hard to say that Zaza is going to be a bad player, I think. Let's go on to the next game now. We're talking about the Sacramento Kings and the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, no Rudy Gay for the Sacramento Kings confirmed out for the season. The Grizzlies are favored by 6.5, and, and the total is 200.5. Ty Lawson missed the last game with an ankle problem. He is questionable for this one. Obviously, if he misses, it's all about Darren Collison. Um, as for replacing Rudy Gay, we don't know exactly what will happen. You're going to have Matt Barnes. You're going to have Garrett Temple. You're going to have Anthony Tolliver. And you're going to have Darren Collison take on some extra minutes and usage as well in this scenario. And not it's not all going just to one player. So no one stands out as being an awesome DFS play in this game. Um, the fact that it's against the Grizzlies and the tempo is going to be lowered as well makes it less appealing. Now, if Lawson's out, then Ty Collison... Sorry, if Ty Lawson's out, then Darren Collison 
at 4,700 is almost a no-brainer play at that sort of a salary. If uh, if Lawson's playing, it is going to be harder to use Darren Collison. He's at 5,300 on DraftKings. Uh, and Mike Conley at 7,700. I think there's value in Conley at that price. I don't think that's a, a tough one to look at. 7,300 on DraftKings. He's averaging 41 across his last five on DraftKings. So I think there's yeah, reason to consider Conley in cash and in GPP scenarios. Shooting guard Garrett Temple had been starting there until he was benched in favor of Aaron Aflalo. He could very well come back into the starting lineup, but he is averaging just 17 points over the last five games in 32 minutes. So the minutes have been there. The production has not been. His salary is listed as 4100 over on Fangio, and he's at 4200 on DraftKings, which is obviously not superbly appealing. But you could always throw him into a GPP. It's just There's a lot of uncertainty to consider these Kings guys in cash games, at least for this one. Tone Allen at 4,600 just feels a little bit too highly priced. Small forward Matty Barnes is at 4,000. Same story as with um, as with Temple. You can take a punt on these guys. 4,100 for Barnesy over on DraftKings. Yeah, definite GPP options. And Barnes actually has a higher fantasy potential in my opinion. But whether he achieves that or not is completely up in the air at this point. Vince Carter has played 30 minutes the last two games. He's at 3,600 on Fangio and he's at 3,400 on DraftKings. He would be a sneaky, low-owned GPP guy that could easily get you 25 points, but I wouldn't be putting a massive amount of faith on that actually going down. Chandler Parsons is just not going to play enough minutes. Power forward, Jermichael Green's at 4,600. Love the matchup for him. Now, I'm normally not a huge Jermichael Green fan, but he did have a big double-double and scored 34 points in the last one. He's at 4,600, but the Kings bump is what really gets it going for him. He's at 45 on DraftKings. I think he's a good play on both sides. And Anthony Tolliver, same story as Garrett Temple, same story as... Matt Barnes, he's at 3,900 on Fangio. He could get more minutes. He could score over 20, uh, but I would strictly be restricting that to uh, to GPP type of formats. Zebo is at 5,900. He gets that power forward bump against the Kings too, but he is quite unreliable in terms of what role and minutes he gets. I would look at him more as a GPP guy at that elevated sort of a salary. Boogie's going to have a lot of usage to deal with here with, uh, with Gay out. 10,600 for Boog. No, no issue with using him. It is a negative matchup against Marcus Gasol, so that's somewhat of a concern, but I reckon the usage might offset that. But if I'm spending my money up, I'd rather take Durant. I'd rather take Harden. They're my $10,000 guys rather than, than spending it on Boog with that with that Marcus Gasol matchup, which, which, can be a, which can be a problem, as we've seen for plenty of players this season. Gasol's got the same issue. He's got to take on Boogie, and that can be a problem. He's averaging just 30 points in the last three times he's taken on Sacramento on 8,200 on Fangio. That is forget about it sort of area. On DraftKings at 7,200, that's fine. That, yeah, look, he hasn't been great, but at 7,200, I think you can consider using him. At 8,200, there's no interest in using Marcus Gasol at that sort of an elevated price over on, uh, over on Fangio. Let's get into the next one now. We're looking at the Brooklyn Nets and the New Orleans Pelicans. The um, no spread currently released for this game. Let's talk point guards. For the Nets, let's ignore point guards. Spencer Dinwiddie, Isaiah Whitehead, they often don't play enough minutes and they often aren't productive enough. Not a lot to love with those players. But Drew Holiday had a massive game in the last one, 36 points, which included five steals. He's at 6,500. Um 
the Nets is, is such a great matchup for point guards that really it's going to be hard to go past uh, Drewy as a as an option at point guard. Really think he's in, in a fantastic spot here at that price, which is not all that high um, to be used at seven thousand two hundred on DraftKings. He's not as appealing uh, over there. That's that's an elevated price, so I would consider it. But on Fangio, he's much more appealing. Shooting guards. Sean Kilpatrick, he's a GPP-only guy, but he has been trending down in a significant way. And uh, Tyreek Evans at 5,800. He's crushing it, Tyreek. He is putting up... We put up 35 in the last game. He's averaging 30 over the last five, but 5,800 just does not sound appealing to me. He's at 58 on DraftKings as well. The matchup is perfect for him. I would look at him as a GPP sort of a player, but I would find it hard to look at him as a cash game option. Now, I believe the last time he played the Nets, he put up an absolute perler. So that's... um. That's something to pay attention to, but I'm not um, I'm not I'm not fully in love with this uh, with this scenario for uh, for Tarek, especially with that elevated salary. Langston Galloway, I think, is a GPP option. He's a low price guy that occasionally goes off with his shot, but nothing to look at there in cash. Rondé Hollis Jefferson is trending in the right direction. He's at 4,600, which is a $600 price rise, which I hate. That's on Fangio. But on DraftKings at 4,000 bucks, he had 32 points in the last game and he's averaging 23 across the last five. At 4,000 bucks, do we trust Kenny Atkinson? That's the big question. The answer should be a resounding no. And that's going to leave RHJ as being a tournament type of player only. But he is becoming really appealing for cash. We just can't trust that he's going to get these big minutes. And until we do, that probably limits him to just uh, just tournaments. Solomon Hill, Dante Cunningham, there are the small forward listed players, but they don't produce anywhere near enough value. At power forward, Anthony Davis at 11900 That's probably pushing it a little bit. That's a $700 price rise for him on Fangio. He's at eleven four on DraftKings. I just, I don't feel that they're the best. He's going to be the best play of the day. Um, he's obviously in a good spot against Brooklyn where he can easily go for 55 or 60, but I'm just not feeling him in cash. I think he's more of a GPP type of a player in this scenario. Well, Terry Jones at 5,200, just don't can't see any reason why you would use Terrence Jones unless Anthony Davis happens to be out. Trevor Booker at 5,400, I don't think there's any value in him at that price. For the centers, well, there's only one center, it's Brook Lopez. He's at 7,400. The matchup is a negative in this one. He's been okay, but I'm not sure he's been worth 7,400. On DraftKings at 6,800, yeah, that's that's a one that I can get behind and I can consider using, but he's far from the best center option that's uh, that's available. All right, let's move on to the next game now, which is the Chicago Bulls taking on the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are favored by five and a half points, and the total is 203 and a half here. Let's talk point guards. Dennis Schroeder, 6,300. Hasn't been performing that well of late, but there's been some blowouts in there and some benchings that he has copped. I think at 6,300, he is absolutely worth a look against the Bulls. And at 5,900 on DraftKings, not many better point guards out there at that sort of a price point than Schroeder. So I really like his matchup there, but not as much and not as much on Fangio, but I still think that he's a very good option there. Michael Carter-Williams at 4,700. The minutes for him are sort of mid-20s. He's been playing better, but I'm not sure he's been playing quite that well. He's averaging just 21.5 over the last five, and you want more than that from 4,700. On DraftKings at 4,400, it's getting better. The matchup is great. We've seen this point guards against Atlanta go off, but what will Hoiberg do? Will he jerk him around? Will he incorrectly play Rondo more minutes? Will we get a Jaron Grant 
cameo type performance. That's the risk with Carter Williams, and I'm not sure his upside is actually high enough to consider him a GPP type of a player. Rondo, Delaney, nah. Shooting guards, Timmy Hardaway, he's always a GPP guy at 4,600. Nothing really changes for him here in this scenario. While Dwayne Wade has really been struggling at 6,900, I can't Oh, he's struggling relative to price is maybe the best way to put it. I can't justify spending that. And at 6300 for him over on DraftKings, yeah, still don't think that that's a great scenario for Wadey. Now, Kent Bazemore at 4500 on FanDuel. He had 14 points in the last one. We know that he is as inconsistent as they come. So I'm not uh, not falling over myself to use Kent Bazemore. The matchup is is a marginal positive one, but not a fantastic one. Jim Butler, 9800 He's another guy that you you should feel pretty confident about getting 45 points out of Jim. So he is absolutely fine to spend up some cash on. He's at 8,900 on DraftKings as well, averaging 52 over there across the last three. No concerns with with Jim, really. I think he's in a a pretty good spot to put up some good numbers. Dougie McDermott, just a GPP player. Nick Miritich is at 4,100. I would be okay with Miritich if Taj is out. They limited Miro in the last game because of his illness, which shouldn't be any problem here. But obviously, there's no way that you can rely upon Miritich in any cash games. Whereas Paul Millsap at 8,200, he gets a good bump here against the Bulls front court. Um, really like him in this spot at 8,200. It feels like almost a lock for 40 points. And 7,500 on DraftKings, really, really think that's a, a good spot for Paul Millsap there. As for Taj Gibson at 5,100, Millsap has been, not Millsap, Gibson has been playing well before this ankle problem. Now, he is likely to play Taj, and I think that he would be okay to use at that salary. On DraftKings at 5400 I'm less uh, less interested in it at that elevated salary. Dwight Howard at 7000 bucks has not been hitting value. I think he is a, a pivot contrarian GPP center, and the matchup, you know, he could very easily roast Robin Lopez. And at 7000 bucks I would like it to be cheaper, but I do think that he can have some value over there. If we look at him over on uh, over on DraftKings at 6900 the same sort of story for him there. As for Lopez, he's been consistently playing well, which is probably leads me to think that it won't continue here. Um, 4,500 for Robin. Yeah, I, I can definitely get behind it, but it's a GPP scenario only for him. All right, we've got two games to go now. Let's get stuck into those ones right now. The first one of those is the Utah Jazz. They're taking on the Dallas Mavericks. No spread for this one just yet. Dirk did sprain his ankle today, but he looks like he's going to be right to go, so no need to be worried there. Rod Hood is out, and George Hill will be playing, so that's good news for Utah. As for the point guards in this matchup, well, to be honest, there's not a lot to love. Obviously, it's a Utah-Dallas matchup, so pace is going to be down. Yeah, Dallas has been providing good defense against fantasy teams this year. Utah, the same story. Don't like George Hill. Don't like Darren Williams. JJ Barea, no. None of those point guards really stand out to me. Shooting guards, Seth Curry's at 4,000. I think that Seth is fine to use. I think he's got I think he's got some cash reliability, and I think he's a good GPP type of a guy. But yeah, the other guy, the other guards there aren't really uh, aren't really working for me. Seth's at 3,900. On DraftKings, Wes Matthews at 5,400. I think that even when Wes you know, goes off, so to speak, that's sort of the value he gets. So I don't think there's any GPP upside, and I don't think that he's got any cash reliability. Joe Ingles is the guy that I really like in this one. He's at 4,000 bucks. He had 24 points in the last one, replacing Rod Hood, played 34 minutes, and I expect him to play similar minutes and have a similar level of production. At 4,400 on DraftKings, it's maybe a little bit high, 
but I still think that there, there is value in Joe Ingles for both of these uh, in both of these sites. Where Gordy Haywood at seven thousand four hundred, yeah, I'm not really worried about the defensive issue here with Dallas against him. I think that he is good at that price on DraftKings at seventy six hundred. Fine, I don't think he's got much GPP upside, but I feel pretty good about Gordy Haywood being a, a cash type of play. Whereas the pencil Harrison Barnes at six thousand one hundred, I cannot get behind that in this matchup, and his recent form hasn't really justified that sort of salary that he's currently rocking. Power forward, Derek Favors at 5400 on Fangio. No way that I want to spend that. Uh, he's at a $700 price rise. Yeah, his ability is well above that, but this being a back-to-back, I don't know exactly how minutes he's, many minutes he's going to play. That's not a good scenario for Derek. 5200 on DraftKings, I would look at it as a, maybe a GPP situation, but I don't think we can really trust that in cash at all. As for Dirk at 5700 feels too high, especially if he's battling an ankle problem, and 54 on DraftKings says the same thing to me. And at center, Rudy Gobert, 7,800. No issue with Rudy Gobert at that price. He's averaging 41 across the last three. He should be able to get 40 here again. The Dirk matchup, is that worrying him? Salah Mejri, I don't think there's any concern here. For Rudy, I think you should be looking at a pretty big performance uh, out of Gobert in this matchup. All right, let's get on to the last game now. It is the Indiana Pacers. They're taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. The Pacers are favored by three, and the total is 220. Luol Deng, after being ruled out indefinitely, has been upgraded to questionable for this game. If Deng is out, it's all about Brandon Ingram, who played 37 minutes in the last game, so he would be a guy to target. And that would also open up more minutes for Ivica Zubats, who will force Tariq Black to the fore, and then you'll get the backup minutes at center coming from Zubats. If Deng plays, it's going to limit Zubats' ability not his ability, it's going to limit his ability to play, and he becomes a GPP-only type of a player in that scenario. At point guard, hard to not like Jeff Teague. My name is Jeff. Yes, he's at 8000 bucks, but the matchup is fantastic. He's coming off a 48-point performance. You really do like Jeff Teague in this matchup if you're looking for a guy. You don't want to spend up on Kemba. You don't want to spend up on Kyle Lowry. You don't want 9000 on Steph. I think Jeff is, is a pretty decent bet to get 40 points in this matchup. Over on DraftKings, is at 7,900. The same story there. D'Angelo Russell, minutes have been down. He's averaging just 24 over the last three. He's at 6,100. The matchup for him is a positive one. I think that he is a GPP-only type of a guy. I cannot get behind using D'Angelo on, in cash. While Jordy Clarkson at 4,300 has actually been playing well, but I think that him and uh, Russell are somewhat negatively correlated. So I wouldn't want to put both of them in a GPP, but you could put them both in, uh, in, in separate spots. In one lineup with Russell, one in Clarkson, and build around it that way because one of them I feel like is going to have a good game, but just not sure which one it's going to be. At shooting guard, Uncle P at 3,900 had 31 points in the last game in that uh, last quarter four fight back. He is obviously just a GPP type of guy, as is Lou Williams, although Williams has been playing a lot better now. I'm still not 100% convinced that I want to get all aboard Lou Williams, but at 4,900 on Fangio, 41 on DraftKings, there can be some. Uh, Sorry, 49 and 46 on DraftKings. There can be some value in Louis. averaging 33 the last three on DraftKings, but not 100% sold on it. Probably lean a little bit more towards GPPs with him. Small forward, uh, Lou Deng. No. Paul George. Yeah, I think Paul George is in a good spot here. 7,400. He's underperformed recently, averaging just 32 over the last five games. And he's at 7,800 on DraftKings. But that is, I think it's a perfect spot for him to get 40. And I would look at him as more a GPP guy than a cash guy. But I don't think many people are going to be on Paul George uh, on this slate of games. Power forward, Thad Young is at 5,400. Yeah, I'm not... 
not really getting behind that. Whereas Julius Randle's at 6,500. Given the way that he is currently playing and his up and down nature, that means that he is a GPP type of guy to me. And at 7,000 on DraftKings, that is... Uh, that is not an appealing salary. I like Miles Turner a lot. 6,700. His numbers have been a little bit suppressed lately, but it's a great opportunity when you play against the Lakers. This is a great spot for, for Miles. Is it 6,900 on DraftKings? Yeah, good, but not quite as good as what he is on FanDuel. So really, really like Miles there. As for Zubats, Mozgov. Yeah, Zubats had 35 in the last game. He's at 3,800. Absolutely, you can put him in a GPP. I would not have faith that he's getting 20 minutes in a cash game. But if they go that route, or if we hear beforehand that, yeah, that he's playing 20 minutes a night or whatever they're saying, uh, then he becomes an option under that sort of a scenario. All right, we are done for the podcast. Let's talk picks of the day now. Looking at Fangio, DJ Augustine, 35, Drew Holiday, 65, and Jeff Teague, 8,000. Shooting guards, Hazonia's at 35, Clay's at 64, and Jimmy Harden's at 12,2. At small forward, Ingles at 4,000, Aaron Gordon at 5,000, and Durant at 10,5. At power forward, Jermichael Green, 46, Serge Barker, 62, and Paul Millsap, 82. And center, Cody Zeller, 5,000, Miles Turner, 67, and Embiid at 4,400. No, 8,400. On DraftKings, DJ Augustine, 33. Dennis Schroeder, 59. And Jimmy Harden, 12-2. Mario Hazonia, 3,000. Eric Gordon, 56. And DeRozan, 82. At small forward, Matty Barnes, 41. Aaron Gordon, 54. And Durant at 10-5. And at power forward, Jermichael Green, 4-5. Serge Ibaka, 6-1. And the process, Joel Embiid at 8-4. And at center, Zaza Pachulia, 35. Mason Plumley 52. And DeMarcus Cousins, 10,200. On the Aussie sites, Moneyball, Tyreek Evans, 48, Drew Holiday, 61, and Dame Lillard, 85, is a GPP. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, 41, Lou Williams, 51, and Jimmy Harden, 12-3. Shooting guard, Joe Ingles, 36, Aaron Gordon, 52, and Kevin Durant, 10-6. At power forward, Derek Favors, 44, Cody Zeller, 51, and Paul Millsap, 81. And at center, Zaza's at 43, Plumlee's at 66, and Embiid is at 8,000. On draft stars, TJ McConnell, 6450, Jeff Teague, 13450, and Mike Conley, 14350. Shooting guard, Joe Ingles, 52, Tyreek, 8550, and Gordy Haywood, 14250. At small forward, Anthony Toller is 52, Clay Thompson's 11350, and Durant's at 17850. At power forward, Mick Beasley, 58, Serge Ibaka, 11-5, and Joel Embiid at 14-6. And rounding it out with the center, Zaza Pachulia, 6800, Nick Vucevic, 12750, and and uh, I don't know why I've got Anthony Tolliver there at 20,000. It's Anthony Davis at 20,400 as a GPP type of an option. We are done here, guys. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and check out Basketball Monster and our Twitter account there at BaskMonster. We are done. Give this podcast a uh, review, a subscription. That's all good. It helps me a lot. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. John Wall.